Good morning. The Bible reading today is Psalm 127 and 128. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem and may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. WDBC, it's my pleasure to be with you uh, as we take our time through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, today we're looking at Psalms 127 and 128. Uh, Solomon, son of King David, is the believed author of 127. And chapter 128, while not written by Solomon as far as we know, still carries the same themes as 127. And I tell you that just for this morning for the sake of the sermon structure. Uh, because this first song that was written by Solomon, it's not full of, just full of colourful imagery as, as all good songs are, but because it's Solomon, it's full of daily wisdom, Christian principles for daily living. And therefore, it teaches us how to live on earth well as we journey towards the kingdom coming. And as I said, these songs are songs of ascent, meaning that they're sung by people on their journey up to be in the presence of the Lord. Songs you sing while traveling, kind of like when you're in your car going to work. And Pastor Jonathan has been teaching us that the Christian life, though it be lived here in this world, it's a faith journey of following Jesus until we step into glory with him. And these two threads of Christianity are, are all throughout Scripture. This idea that we are to live in the world, yet we are not of the world. And that's what Jesus says to his disciples. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. We're here to help it prosper. We are here to live for the glory of God. But we are not to set up permanent home and residency here as people that don't know God. For just like Jesus Christ himself came to bless and he came to prosper humanity when he was here, he also said, I have no place to lay my head. And he rested when his work was done and went back to be with the Lord. And we feel this tension and we feel this strain in all areas of our life. And it's only natural then that the church kind of on a pendulum swings back and forth between trying to walk this faithfully. And one large area of our lives to walk faithfully in is in our happiness and our prosperity. Even to say the word prosperity in church can kind of boil the blood of some because of the way that it's been preached in the scriptures. And being extremely kind of at one end or the other on this tension is wrong. 
For instance, the, the church pendulum can swing one way so far, and it has quotes like, have your best life now. Quoting scriptures like Psalms 37, where it says, he will give you the desires of your heart, as if to say he's going to bless you with health, wealth, and family, and, and everything. All your heart's desires, they will be yours if you, if you just put faith in Jesus. And completely reading out of context from verses such as that one, that it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Translation, if your delight is in the Lord, he will give himself to you. And at the extreme other end of the pendulum is this kind of legalistic, stern, bitter Christian who only ever feels a sense of duty to God and it's without happiness and without joy. And they quote scripture saying, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. As if to say that means following Jesus comes with no sense of joy, no sense of happiness in God. That God has no concern about your happiness or your prosperity. Yet Jesus teaches us that as followers of him, remaining obedient to him reproduces in us joy, a glad spirit. And furthermore, if we seek the kingdom, every need of ours is met in God. And so both ends of the spectrum, they're wrong. In fact, the answer isn't even trying to find the middle ground between them, but reorientating our whole framework of what godly happiness and prosperity looks like. And so I start this morning with my big question. It's not, a, it's not a very complex question, it's quite simple. Does God desire us to be happy and to prosper in this life? Does God desire his people in this life to be happy and to prosper? Because I know that we affirm that on that great day, the Lord's going to wipe away every tear and there's going to be no more sorrow and no more pain. Only happiness and joy will follow. And that the works of our hand in the new creation, it will only produce good and it will be a joy to us. But what about now? Does God desire his followers be emotionally happy, that they be full of joy and prospering? I think many of us have distorted views of God in this. We have the idea that following Jesus is to pursue holiness, but not happiness. Holiness and happiness have to be at opposite ends. I remember being at youth group as a kid and having a laugh with one of my friends and, and the youth leader turns around, he stares at me and he says, be holy, not happy. Because they're at opposite ends that somehow pursuing the holiness and the way of God doesn't pursue happiness in me. It's a distortion. And this is a sign actually of our distrust in the goodness of God and it's the cause of our rebellion towards him and a lot of the cause of our unhappiness and our miseries. Are all his ways good? Are all his ways blessed? If we have any other answer than yes to that question, then we are like Eve who's sitting in the garden, looks upon some beautiful forbidden fruit and thought it's going to be more pleasing for me. It's going to be more prospering for me. There will be more blessedness in having this than following God. And in doing so, actually Adam and Eve, all they produced out of disobeying God was they brought down a curse and in doing so, by rebelling against the will of God, brought shame, guilt, and anxiety upon themselves. All because they believed that pursuing happiness must be apart from God. 
And just so you know what I mean when I use the word happy, I'm not always talking about happiness based in the circumstance, for we know that there are sorrows here. But I do talk of an inner joy and strength despite the circumstance that still blesses God with a cheerful spirit. And by prosperity, I do not mean having every desire that you have gratified. I mean the gifts of God that are given both here on earth and in heaven that makes humanity and his children flourish, that they prosper in goodness to him. This morning's sermon has been titled Godly Happiness and Prosperity. For these two psalms, they're going to teach us four things regarding how to live happy or fulfilled and prosper life in life on earth. The first point that it's going to make, it's going to warn us about trying to prosper and find happiness apart from God. Trying to find happiness and prosperity apart from God leads to a hollow life or a vain life. Second, it's going to teach us how to live fulfilled by taking pleasure both in God and the gifts that he gives in thanksgiving. Third, it will show us how our prosperity is to be used. Prosperity comes with responsibility. And fourth, it will show us from where all blessings flow. God has blessed us in heaven and on earth through the kingdom. And based on that outline, the the main kind of themes that we're going to look at are the main themes of your life, work, family, and community. And so with that, we're going to pray and begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning's message glorifies you. Lord, that ultimately the truth of you is heard. Lord, I know uh, that everything that we do is imperfect, and I rely on your grace and your mercy to be sufficient that you would be the one speaking and that you would enlighten our hearts and give us a more cherished view of you. In your name, amen. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. This first portion of text, it's talking about our work and our duty and our earning of our daily bread. Work is a natural part of God's good design for man. He put us in the garden before the fall to work. Work is for our blessing. That we would toil, that we would produce, that we would cultivate, that we would beautify and take care of the world that God gave us. That it would be a blessing and through the toil and the work of our hands, we would be blessed. We would have produce. And so firstly then, Christian, understand that your work is a blessing given to you from the hand of the Lord. We have a good view on work. And this psalm is not condemning someone who labors greatly. Actually, in fact, laziness, carelessness, and idleness in the workplace is taught in the New Testament scriptures as being signs of no faith in Christ. The builder is not living in vain because he builds, The watchman is not living in vain because he's looking over the prosperous city. The worker is not living in vain because he has his daily food at the end of his work shift. The psalm is warning against people who labor and toil in life apart from God, believing they will receive happiness and prosperity in it. It's a hollow endeavor. Now, reality bears the witness that you can 
make a successful home here apart from God, that you can accumulate wealth for yourself apart from God, that you can work and have your daily bread apart from God or apart from the recognition of God. But reality also bears the same fact that faithful servants of God who believe in Christ, they might never possess a home. They might not always have a warm meal and they might not even have enough wealth to ever actually watch over. And so if this is the case of reality, the case of life, why does the psalm say that it's done if vain, if people can literally have all these things apart from God and those that follow God might not have any of them? And the key is found in the word vain pursuit or which really renders itself to mean empty or hollow. The psalm is warning those who work, those who watch, and those who produce without the Lord, they might acquire houses, they might have all the possessions, they still might have all the food, but they will not be satisfied in what they are doing and the fruits of their labor. They'll be empty in their striving in the endeavor. Always craving more, trying to fill the hollowness of life. And I don't think I have to work too hard to show you that reality either. Look at the rich and the famous the celebrity figures, the politicians, the what-have-yous, the people that have it all, that prosper, if you will, in the worldly sense in every way, with money, with possessions, with popularity. Are they satisfied? Are they content? Are they at rest? Is there enjoyment? Or is there a hollowness? This is the picture given to us in Psalms. We have one person acquiring all that they are by their own hands and by their own terms. They possibly even have more than this other person asleep, yet they're up late at night, they're up early in the morning, they're never at rest and never at peace. And then there's another guy just snoozing, not snoozing because he's lazy, but snoozing because he's content, he's satisfied. And it really begs the question, which one does our life resemble? The one who is up early, who works into all hours of the night and everything that you ever do, it always feels like it's never enough. You live to achieve, you live to attain wealth, you look for the status, you're looking for academic accolades or workplace esteem to fulfill you and then once you've achieved it because you did it by your own hand, it's a stress and an anxious responsibility that you're trying to keep with your own hand. And now everything that you own isn't one of thanksgiving to God, but just a bitty resentment because you're not finding the joy and the happiness that you want to have in it. Strung out from too many hours, stressed from all your accumulating that never satisfies, anxiously looking over everything that you have and what might happen to it because you deserve it. Never at peace, restless, anxious, fearful, unsatisfied, unhappy, empty lives, hollow. Or are you the one at rest and satisfied, having a midday nap? <laughs> Happy going to sleep because your prosperity, the accumulation of what you have, it's in God's hands. Satisfied with your work because you know that it was given to you by God. Satisfied with your portion, whether it was much or it was little, because it was the portion given to you. Working well, but leaving your success in the hands of God. Not nervously watching over your prosperity, but trusting to the one who gives and who takes away. Working for your daily bread, but as Jesus says, praying for it from the hands of the Father. 
Because from first to last, whether it was work or the produce of your work, all of it a gift from God to be cherished in by his graces. The goal of the warning in the psalm at the beginning is for your joy. It's for your happiness and your prosperity. If you are trying to pursue these things apart from God, you will be miserable, anxious, depressed, and fearful because your dependence is on self and not on God who brings you joy. The pursuit of happiness apart from God is done in vain. Work and wealth will become hollow. So reorientate the frame. If we are satisfied with that first point, then we move into the second. We don't want to live in vain, do we? We want to be happy. We want to live fulfilled lives. We want there to be joy. How do we live godly fulfilled lives? We take pleasure, point two, in both God and the gift in thanksgiving. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Scripture testifies that the ability to be able to reproduce, form something in the womb, a child, is given to us by God as a gift. It's an inheritance that comes from him. Children are a gift that come from him. And I want you to think about the gift of a child for a second, not only in the physical, but in the spiritual. What other creature can boast that in between the husband and the wife, what can be formed is an eternal soul because the flesh is knitted in the womb, but the Lord is producing in what is being knitted in the flesh actually something with eternal substance in it. No other creature can make this boast. And God gives this responsibility to man and to woman. And these verses kind of, they seem a bit of a disconnect. Like, how does this kid fit into the picture? But it's the work of a great irony. The irony is this. By the sweat of your brow, you can build a big, magnificent home. And you can accumulate wealth. But only through human enjoyment and pleasure does God give such a great blessing of children. It's not by the sweat of your brow, but through the pure of enjoyment of the blessing that God gives in the union between man and woman. To enjoy that gift, the fruit of the womb, it comes through intimacy and pleasure and enjoyment. Now, what am I trying to do with that point besides make everyone feel a little uncomfortable? I'm trying to show you here that the reason God blesses us isn't because we worked for it or earned it as the children illustrate. God blesses us with all things out of his love for us. That's what it says in verse two with the man who's asleep well. So that we might enjoy and give glory to God in thanksgiving. Giving glory to God in thanksgiving by cherishing, by finding joy and delight is the whole walk of the Christian life. That we would cherish God, that we would cherish the gifts that he gives, that we would cherish the new life that was born in us by the gift of the Spirit, that we would live for the praise and the glory of God in joyful and happy thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. All blessings of God are only rightly received from God as a gift of grace given out of his love for us and not one that's a right demanded, whether it be a physical or a spiritual gift. And this is the great distinction of the one at rest. He takes pleasure in both God and the gift in thanksgiving. They're fulfilled. It's not about how much they have. It's about the pleasure that they find in it. 
Because if you think about the lives that we live here, they're very much like unbelievers, aren't they? We need all the same things in the physical sense. We need a house. We need food. We need relationships. But there's two great distinctions between it. How we receive prosperity and how we use prosperity. A believer receives all things as a gift from God given undeserving. That is, they are given it by grace, whether physical or spiritual. An unbeliever receives nothing because they believe everything they have attained has been given to them by their own hand. In their physical prosperity, they don't acknowledge God and spiritually they've received nothing. How they use their prosperity then differs greatly to the one who has received it by the hand of God. The believer has prosperity and gives glory to God and rejoices with a cheerful heart for they never deserved it. And on the flip, the unbeliever gives glory to himself and everything they have is not a joy but a right demanded. I work for it, it's mine, it should bring me joy. The key difference in how a believer uses their prosperity is what they use their prosperity for or to whom. And that is point number three. Prosperity comes with responsibility. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Psalms 127, it now shows that children are not only a blessing in and of themselves that come as a gift from God, but they're a sign of perpetual, continual blessing. Both sons and daughters, they're signs of God that people are going to continuously be blessed through down the generations, that there's hope for Israel among the nations. And then specifically, it points out that sons are a sign of strength of the father, that rearing a boy has a blessedness in it. In time, a boy will serve in the army. He's a strength. He will tend the family business when the father ages. He's a strength for his father. He'll provide wealth for the family. He's a strength to the family. At the city gates where the delegations are made with other leaders, both friend and fro, he is a strength. And in due time, he'll carry on the family lineage. All this, the children, a gift from God. However, the imagery of the archer with the bow and arrow is showing us the nature between the child and the parent. A child is a blessing to God in that the child should bless their parent in honoring them. That's their duty. They are a strength added unto them. However, the responsibility of the parent is to set the course and the direction of the child. The prosperity comes with a responsibility. And this isn't just with children, but it's with all prosperity that we're given. Both must be reciprocated or shame will be on both of them. You don't give child direction, they will shame you. And if a child isn't given direction by their parent, they shame the child. Prosperity comes with responsibility. God gives you prosperity so that you will be blessed, but he also gives it so you would bless. So how do we handle this great responsibility of prosperity correctly? Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Work is given to us by God. It's a prosperous endeavor but we're the one who performs it. It's our responsibility to take care of it. Wealth and possession, it's prosperity. 
but we are given the work to be diligent with it. Children are given to us, it's our prosperity. We prosper in it. But where to provide the direction in where they go? Responsibility. All of this prosperity is only ever rightly received and rightly used when it's done in obedience to God's will. Misusing God's gifts is a hollow and a vain pursuit. It won't lead to happiness. And this word blessing, blessed are all who fear him. The literal translation is just happy. Happy, glad spirit. Happy is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in obedience to him. That's why many Bible translations just say happy. The promise that is made here in verse 1 of Psalms 128 is that those who fear or revere God and express reverence through obedience, they express reverence through obedience in Him. That's what it means to revere God, to be obedient unto Him. Thou'll be happy. Thou'll experience joy in Him and whatever prosperity is given. That is why Jesus says to His disciples, as a father has loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love, I told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy, cheerful heart, might be complete. Jesus isn't saying, obey me and you'll get everything you want. He's saying that if you follow me and you're obedient to the Father as I'm obedient to the Father, the joy that is in me doing the Father's will, I will give to you and your joy will be made complete. And that's extremely crucial information for the rest of the breakdown of this psalm so as to not cause a massive contradiction between Psalms 127 and 128. Because as we just naturally read 128, we would almost instinctively say obedience produces the prosperity of wealth, health, and happiness. Therefore, if you don't have health, wealth, and prosperity and happiness, it's a sign of your disobedience. That's a works-based doctrine that we don't accept. And as I just stated above in 127, the one who has godly prosperity and happiness is not the one who has been given all things by work and right, but the one who is content in what is graciously being received. It's a gift given of God that we don't deserve. The builder might only build a shack. The watchman might only be looking after a ruggedy old village. The toil of your hand might only produce baked beans on toast. The married couple might only inherit children by faith or fostering. But whatever prosperity is given unto them by the gracious hand of God will bring more joy and happiness than the one who takes for themselves against the will of God. Now you might want to refute what I'm saying based on 128. Because the text could clearly say the opposite, that the one who fears God and walks in obedience will be happy because they'll be blessed with food, wealth, and family. Now, if you think that, then good, because it means you're using your brain. But I have a response to that line of thinking. My first response is this. Who is obedient and deserving of God's prosperity? Whether physical or spiritual, can anyone legitimately walk up to God and say, you are owing me of this? No, we can't. We know that because Scripture testifies that the only thing that is owing to all of us in our disobedience and our sin is the wrath of God. 
And so therefore, anything that isn't wrath of God is actually a grace and a mercy given over to us. Scripture testifies that all are disobedient, all have sinned, that all are assigned over into disobedience so that God might be merciful to all. And to illustrate this point, I want to show you the most materially blessed man who knew why he received everything he did, Solomon. Solomon's wealth and prosperity is unparalleled to anyone in the kingdom of God. But why? Why did he prosper? Solomon was wildly disobedient. In fact, almost everything he was given, he used in disobedience to God. The first thing he does is he marries a foreign woman, breaks the law of God. Then he has multiple women, breaks the law of God. He acquires many chariots, as God tells kings not to do in Israel, breaks the law of God. He makes delegations with foreign enemies, breaks the law of God. He enforces labor upon his own people, breaks the law of God. He allows the worship of false idols. He breaks the law of God to the highest factor. And yet in everything he does, God lets him prosper. Why? Solomon's prosperity was not on account of obedience. It was on account of the promises of God that were given through his father David. Your son will be my son and I will love him. Everything Solomon had, everything he inherited, and everything Solomon achieved was given, not on the basis of works and obedience, but on the basis of grace working through the promise. And likewise, brothers and sisters, let me tell, me, tell you, everything you have, whether it be physical or spiritual, it was never given out of your obedience. It was given purely out of the love of God that is given to you through Jesus Christ and his promises. All of it a gracious gift, all of it, our inheritance based on our sonship and our daughtership established by faith in Christ. You might sit there and you might think, but it's unfair. For those who do not even obey God receive greater material blessings than I do. And therefore more love is shown to them who are disobedient than to me who is obedient. What's even the point? And if you think that, that's okay. The psalmist thought that a lot. God, why do you let evil, wicked people prosper? Why do they get away with everything? Jesus tells us that God is so gracious that he lets it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. In other words, he shows grace here on earth both to those who belong to him and those who rebel against him. And in theological circles, this is just known as common grace. Common grace meaning the grace of God everyone receives without distinction, whether they believe or not. What only few ever receive is saving grace. That is the prosperity of heaven that comes in spiritual form to the one who received the call of God. Only Christians can boast in this. The spiritual blessing that comes from heaven is theirs, not on merit or work, but purely to take pleasure in God. This is your great wealth. This is your great portion, God. This is our great prosperity, Jesus, and it is ours, it is ours to cherish and to find all pleasure and enjoyment in for thanksgiving and glory to him. And to circle back to the verse then, 
This is why the obedient are so happy. God is their portion, and obedience is their life lived in joy to God's provision of himself to them. It's beautiful. In the words of John Piper, God is most glorified in us when when we are most satisfied in him. Why? Because our happiness brings about obedience in our cherishing of God. But what then do we make of the illustrative prosperity that we have in Psalms 128? You shall eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. This picture, it's a holistic picture of the covenant blessing one receives under the law. You go to Deuteronomy 28 and you read through it. But it's just condensed into this song. The way in which God brings prosperity is he gives people work. He lets their work produce fruit, or the toil of their labor produces. He gives children and he produces in the children productivity that honors the parent. And they sit around this table at home and it's joyful and it's wonderful and it's happy. That's the beautiful Walt Disney picture that's presented. Then it ends to say that these are what God gives as prosperity. Work, he gives work to you to prosper. Food to prosper. Life and peace in the family. And I think the overwhelming thing that sticks out here about godly prosperity is this. It's the simplicity of life. It isn't dealing with selfish excess. That's what we think when we hear prosperity. It isn't saying you'll be rich. It isn't saying that you're going to have everything or that you're going to be popular or life will become easy so you just get to coast or be lazy. None of that. That's not actually human prospering. That's human gluttony. Just to keep on desiring everything more and more and more. It's simply you will have what you need. There will be peace and joy and productivity in your family and your home. And as you walk obediently, finding your happiness in him, every gift that he chooses to give you will be rightly received and delighted in because it's a grace. <clears throat> and for the last section of the text, I want to draw out two things. Where the prosperity is coming from, and second, to whom prosperity is given. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. The end of the song is a pronouncement of blessing upon the people, informing the worshiper that prosperity flows from Zion. It flows from the city of God. Why? Because God is there. It's flowing from him to you. And as you're traveling and as you're making your ascent into the presence of God, blessing is coming. What I'm highlighting here for you, hopefully, is godly prosperity is only received from the kingdom of God. I don't want to cheapen the text here on hard issues. Many people are faithful to the Lord and they do not have the means to work, whether that be due to a mental illness or a physical condition, age, so on, which means they can't enjoy the fruits of their labor. They're incapacitated. So work and fruit of the labor are not things that are found enjoyment in. Furthermore, many Christians do not find enjoyment in their work through 
different reasons, even though they have integrity in their work, such as workplace environment, work colleagues, employee, employer issues, and so on. Furthermore, not all Christians will experience joy of companionship and intimacy. Not all faithful couples will experience the gift of children, and some will only ever feel grief from it. Some faithful parents will never experience a child growing up right in the direction that they gave, but they will love their child, but they might mourn the decisions that they're making. And this is the reality of a Christian in a broken world, where we feel brokenness of sin in the body, that work doesn't produce the way that it should. We feel the brokenness of work. Sorry, that doesn't feel the way that it should. Where relationships that should be a source of enjoyment can be a great source of pain. And sometimes it's not a lack of our disobedience. We just made our way through Luke, Zachariah, and Elizabeth can't fall pregnant, and they are known for being obedient people to God. And their greatest source of pain, they can't produce a child. And so if you feel the grief and lament of this, li- of this in your life, then I say to you, cast your eyes to Zion, where all blessings flow. And I mean, more pointedly, come and receive the blessings both physically and spiritually at the kingdom of God that was put here on earth, the church. The church should be abundantly prospering one another. Those who are poor or in need amongst our church, who have no work, whose toil does not produce enough that it profits them, seek financial provision and blessing in God's kingdom, the church. Look to Zion. We are to provide God's prosperity to to one another who are lacking. That's our duty of love. The kingdom of God on earth is put here to help people prosper. Those who suffer from loneliness, look to Zion, look to the church, just as Jesus drew in Mary Magdalene or, or Matthew, the lonely tax collector. He not only drew them to himself, but he drew them to one another to find beautiful relationship. The church brings prosperity that people might prosper, not in loneliness and isolation, but with enjoyment of community. The kingdom on earth was put here so that we might prosper in relationships. Those who cannot have children, look for God's blessing from Zion. By faith, many people have become mothers and fathers. By faith, some fathers, some have been given the right of fatherhood through adoption of an orphan child. By faith, some mothers... Some people, women, have become mothers through raising children at the church by faith. Some have become parents of the unloved in their neighborhood. And just as Jesus, upon the cross, he looks at his disciple, John, he says, this is your mother. And then he looks at Mary and he says, Mary, this is your son, John. So also everyone who receives the crucified Messiah, we look at one another. You're my family. Now, whether that's for better or for worse, I inherit you, you inherit me. We belong to each other, and we all belong to the same Father. The kingdom of God is put here on earth to help people prosper in family. In many of these ways, God continuously pours out his abundance of grace in physical realities upon his children 
on their way up to the great city. You will note that most of the time that I've been speaking, I've been talking about physical prosperity. The reason is, is because the psalm is written about physical prosperity. Second reason is, I think that we struggle in that area. We pretty much easily believe in the abundance of spiritual blessings, that the kingdom of heaven is ours. But we really struggle with the idea that God is so good that he cares about my abundance here, that he cares about my happiness and my joy here. We've become so doubtful of God's goodness that some of our prayer lives, we're asking for things here on earth, but we say it with as little conviction as if we had walked up to the queen and asked her for a cup of cold water, knowing she wouldn't give it to us because she's going to give to stuffs about who we are. God cares about your position. God cares about what goes on in your life. And when we feel like he doesn't, and when we feel like everything that we have didn't come from God's hand, but it came from mine, of course there's going to be grumbling and complaining in God's family. Because we failed to acknowledge that it's all from him for our enjoyment to give thanksgiving back to him. We live like pagans demanding that things be owed to us, finding joy in nothing because it was all done at the sweat of our own brow. And I ask you to reconsider, if this is your line of thinking, God only came to bless me spiritually. He did come to bless you spiritually, but he also came for much more than that. Even the ears that you have to hear right now me speak is a point of thanksgiving to God, that I can hear the word. But I do not want to leave here just talking on physical blessings. I want to transition into heavenly things. The psalmist pronounces the blessing upon the people that by the Lord's provision they might see the prosperity of Jerusalem, that they might be safe on their way up, that they might come into the holy city and enjoy and relish and take comfort in the abundance of provision when they get in there. This side of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ this will be finally expressed in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. That's the Christian perspective. Christ coming back, putting down everything that hinders human joy and satisfaction, putting down everything that goes against God's will because that's where human and satisfaction is found, in God's will. And everything that is cursed and everything that has plagued humanity since the fall in the garden will be replaced with joy and happiness. So that in all ways, you will have a glad spirit that whatever work you do in the new heaven and the new earth, it will produce abundantly. And whatever fruit is born from your work, you will find pleasure in. And that fullness of light is, life is yet to come and we are still walking. But the promise is that when you get in there, you will experience it and that the Lord will keep you safe until that day. Our greatest deficiency in life, the thing that we need prospering in more than anything else, is not the things that we have here. We're spiritually dead. 
There's no life. For all of sin, for all are far away from God. And all that this body of flesh that mine can do and that yours can do by all its little works of the flesh is produce more death. It produces separation from God. It produces in all of the efforts that it might do wrath, damnation. Your greatest prosperity given to you by God is not the things of the world, though we cherish them and we thank the Lord for them, but they are passing away. It is the eternal presence of your God given to you through Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. It was God's good pleasure. He found enjoyment and satisfaction in giving you new life. And this inheritance, the Holy Spirit, which is ours in Jesus Christ, it is a seal, it is a sign, it is a a promise upon us that joy and prosperity is ours when we step into glory. And so whilst you might have all things on this side, if you do not have God, you have nothing at all and you've lived your life hollow. Vain pursuit. The fulfilled life of a Christian, it cherishes the greatest godly prosperity given himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all given to us. And by faith, we inherit all of him through Christ. And if this is all ours, whether physical or spiritual, our one joy or our one job here, I should say, cherish and enjoy God here. That happiness might well up in your spirit, that it might overflow in obedience to God, that it might overflow in glory to God. That's what our life is here for. That was we're walking up to the new Jerusalem. We are singing songs of praise on our way bringing glory to God until we step into the fullness. That's what we're doing here and now. Just as like you're driving to work, singing your little song that's going to pump you up for the day so you can get in there and face the day. So it is you have the soundtrack of your life singing thanksgiving to God for all that he's given, physical and spiritual, as you go to step into glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are undeserving. And it's fully on the basis of your love and your mercy and your grace given to us. That whether it be a hot cup of coffee or the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, it is all divinely given by you. Help us, Lord, to not doubt, but to see your hand in everything. To give praise and thanksgiving to you in all that we have. And we trust you, Lord, that we won't grab and reach for ourselves and our own little wills of what we want here and now. But we trust in your will, Lord, that what you give, we receive with joy. That what your hand withholds, you do for our good and our benefit. You are loving and kind, and we praise you. Amen.